What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 131 Podcast. And today I'm joined with Acorn. Uh, it's just you and me, bud. Casey's uh, he's out training right now. How you doing, man? Good. Dude, we have our first NHLer on today. I'm so fucking excited. Let's go. Yeah, man. So without further ado, let's introduce Blake Belfay. How's it going, Blake? Good. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. So this this one, you know, it's really special for us. It hits home for us um, being Framingham High School alumni. Um, as well as yourself. So I figured we would just start right there. Um, back in high school, I I want to say it was Framingham North at the time. So I came in, it was the first, the year before I came in was the first year the schools combined. So I was the, my freshman year was the second year the schools were combined. The year before they won states, um, you know, the first year combined, which was unreal. And then um, that was part of the reason why I ended up going to freemium. And uh, so good little run, 96, uh, 92 to 96, I was there. And you absolutely lit it up. <laughs> yeah, a lot of points. I had a lot of good, a lot of good teammates I played with. It was a little different time than it is now, um, as there was a lot of college players coming out of high school hockey back then. So um, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of good teammates and a lot of guys went on to play division three and division one, right from high school from our teams. Who, who coached the team back then? So a coach named Bruce Parker was the coach. Um, he's kind of a legendary figure in, in mass hockey. Um, he coached, um, Acton Boxbro. He had Tom Barrasso way back in the yeah. day, won a state tournament there. Amazing goalie. Yeah. Um, and they won a state tournament with Framingham, obviously, that first year. And then he en ended up going down to coach at Bourne. And he, I think he ended up winning a state tournament with Bourne back in the day. So he actually won a state tournament all three divisions um, in high school hockey. And uh, he actually coached at Merrimack before that. So he was a, he was a, you know, kind of like a having a college coach at a high school level. He was a really smart guy. So I got a question for you, Blake. So uh, back when we were playing at Framingham, uh, the top teams off the top of my head, it was, you know, the Zavarians, the BC Highs, Malden Catholics. Who were, who were the top teams um, when you were back in high school? Pretty, pretty similar. Um, BC High, CM. CM was, they were unbelievable back then. They usually got the, the, the top players. Uh, they had Hanson was the coach and he just. Yep. He made, Psychopath. Yeah, his recruiting was unreal. So um cm st john's um st john's prep was usually better than shrewsbury um but a lot of the a lot of the public school teams also had good teams whereas same kind of teams there is now like the burlington's uh wakefield redding um newton north was good back then framingham so um a lot of the bigger towns had strong teams and again i'll always those public uh, Catholic schools always had really strong teams as well. Yeah, it's it's so similar to that. what you're saying. It's like what we saw in high school. You know, the the private schools were good, but like we also saw very good uh, public school teams. You know, one in particular that sticks out to me is um, Hingham. Hingham was always so good. I don't know why and Needham. They were both two powerhouses, and they always dominated us. It was. Insane. Yeah, I, think, I think part of it is, do you have a good coaching staff that's able to kind of keep the kids in town? I think that's always the challenge with those public schools is how many kids can you keep in town instead of 
you know, letting yeah. them go off to prep school or getting recruited by the Catholic schools. And that's always that challenge with those, with those public schools. I think you look at the teams now, I think Will Ortiz is doing an unbelievable job of getting yep. the majority of the, the top kids that stay. And I think that's part of the success, um, part of the success story there. And obviously his coaching staff. So it's a real challenge. I think the challenge is even harder today. Just there's so many different options with the, the junior hockey and prep school. And now they have these academies that are coming out. So it's even a bigger challenge now. But um, if you're a good player, then you know, everyone's heard this. They'll find you if you're a good player. You can play anywhere. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did you, uh, did you, do you see like a lot of kids going to these other, you know, organizations instead of high school? Or back then, was it everyone just played high school and they weren't, you know, deferring for a midget season. How, how did it, how did it look back then? Yeah. So it was a lot different where the preps really dominated the recruiting. Um, the prep hockey was probably the best. They were the top, um, but it wasn't the end all be all. There was, you know, the, the Catholics still ruled in kind of the, the public domain, just recruiting guys and, then you had the regular public schools. So um, it was just those three players, really. The, like the Junior Bruinses, the South Shore Kings, and those type of teams didn't really exist. I mean, they were just getting off the ground back when I played. Um, so it wasn't really a big um, competitor in the, in the game. Um, but, you know, the majority of the guys, the top elite guys, ended up going to prep school. A lot of guys would go to the CMs, the Severians, BCIs, St. John Preps. And then, but you still had a, a ton of good players playing at the town public level. So, um, and I remember my my age group. You had um, Mike Souza at Wakefield was one of them. He was a great player at the high school level. Um, we had a, a big battle, Framingham versus Wakefield. And, you know, he's a UNH coach now. So you had um, tremendous players of tremendous talent staying at, at public schools and going right from a Wakefield to UNH or uh, myself to right to BC High. And so. Yep. There's a lot of guys making that jump right from a public school to, to a college D1. So you don't really see that nowadays. There's just, I mean, I don't, I don't love the landscape now and the environment, but it's the game we play in and you have to do an additional year of prep or you have to do a year of junior after that. And it's, it's kind of getting nuts, but um, you know, that's, that's kind of just the landscape these days. So when you were like going into high school, were you ever considering going to, you know, BC high or any of these private schools before going to Framingham? Yeah. So I, I, um, I went on a visit basically almost every prep school around, um, visited fair. I visited Melbourne Greeno, St. Sebastian, um, yeah. St. Mark's. And then actually my freshman year, I was actually enrolled at St. Mark's and, and Framingham high at the same time. I had gone to St. Mark's orientation. The plan was for me to basically go there. But at the same time, I was already like a weekend to school at, at Framingham. Um, so it was kind of like one of those last minute things where I did, ended up deciding to stay at Framingham High. A lot of factors kind of played into it where me personally didn't fit in with the crowd there. I didn't like the, kind of the elitist crowd there. Um, and I was a big baseball player at the time. Um, St. Mark's didn't really have a great baseball program. And, Framingham was always known. I mean, they were a powerhouse in Framingham for, for baseball or um, Coach Avery. And they had just so many guys coming out of there pumping out baseball players. So um, huge 
huge part of my decision for the hockey, obviously, and the baseball. And then I just, I just like the public school atmosphere. Yeah. So a good place for me. And, um, you know, I, I made an agreement with my parents and, you know, you, you're never gonna have to worry about academics with me. So I just went to work academically and just put my work in, on the fields. Yeah, that's awesome too. And especially being like a multi-sport athlete, like I love that. And especially, you know, saying baseball and like, obviously how phenomenal you were at hockey. Like, you're, you know what I mean? You weren't just one sport. That's awesome. And I think that's like kind of being lost now today that everyone's focusing on one sport, especially in high school where you should be playing multiple sports and, you know, learning from your experiences. I, I, especially at the younger ages where there's so many people that get into that specific training of one sport and it just totally hurts their kind of athletic growth where um, playing multiple sports definitely helped me. Um, you know, it made me find new groups of friends. That was an important part of it. And, you know, just playing hockey nowadays, like these kids are just, it almost becomes like a, a job to them where they're not living a childhood. Um, you see them showing up for private lessons now and, you know, specific training outside of the sport, but it's for, you know, it's for hockey only. And it's, they just get so kind of worn down with that um, and they lose the passion. Once you lose the passion, it's, it's game over. They're not going to want to get better. They're not going to want to show up where if they're, you know, putting their skates away and they're playing golf and they're playing, you know, playing baseball, playing football, playing soccer, or they're just being a kid. I think that's, it pays dividends down the road and just cause they're going to stay just so into it more. And so it's just going to create more passion in the sport when they're just loving it more. And so um, it's really important to play multiple sports or just for the athletic part of it, but for the mindset as well, I feel like, and it, it I mean, everyone talks about it, how it gets lost nowadays. And I just, I do believe in some skill training in the off season. I, I think that helps guys and helps people improve. And, um, but I think a lot of people are going overboard with it nowadays. Um, some of these like, hockey academies are, are doing a good job where they're, um, you know, they're, they're making you play other sports, but they're uh, in your, in your hockey season, you actually play other sports. And then, um, when you go into other seasons, you do a little bit of hockey in your off season as well. So I think stuff like that, it's basically kind of like the cross training method. Yeah. Uh, but I know it's, it helped me, um, with my kind of growth on the fields and, and off the fields. Yeah. That's like, I, I totally agree. It's, um, well now you're coaching, uh, Boston junior Bruins, correct? Yeah. So I coached the, the 18 level, um, in the full season. Um, and then the summertime I'm, I'm working with basically every other age group from sixteens all the way down to eight year olds. Yeah. I was going to say, I've seen, you know, some of the, the skill training and it's crazy now, like how talented these kids are at, you know, 16 and between 16 and 18, like where, where they're going to go, you know, if they're going to play like stay with BJB or are they going to go right to, you know, college hockey, it, it's yeah. a phenomenal it's it's insane now how training is so different from what it was even 10 years ago like skill development conditioning strength and uh strength yeah strength and conditioning as a whole yeah there's there's so many parts that go into it now i think again with the the skill training i think they go a little bit overboard with it where you watch a lot of the videos you'll see on instagram and and facebook where you know, they just set up an obstacle course and they're just stick handling through an obstacle course yeah. where 
I mean, everyone is such a good stick handler now, but I think what's lost is kind of the hockey IQ part of it where you never see like just a straight out passing drill where I think that part of the game has suffered in the last few years. Uh, and you can see it. I mean, from my perspective, even at the, at the best levels, the NHL level, I think it's still not where it was, you know, 10 years ago, but there's so much emphasis on just trying to stick handle through everyone and, and do something yourself where, um, and there's a lot of guys that are kind of moving away from those just stick handling skill drills where I know like a guy like Adam Oates is doing yep. some really good stuff with kind of skill work where it's unique, um, you know, certain plays in the game where passing and, and off face-offs and stuff like that are, that are get lost. And I always try to kind of communicate to my players that there's so many more skills involved in the game, just than stick handling and shooting where, you know, being able to get on a four check, like that's a, it's an important skill. Being able to block a shot, that's an important skill. I think a lot of those little things are lost when, when these kids are just so focused on, hey, I'm not sticking all through this and shoot a puck. Um, and that's just, that's one small part of the game. There's the play away, away from the puck, you know, positional skills. And so, you know, I, I do, I love the skill work and I do a lot of it. Um, once I get older elite players doing it, I try to do other stuff with it. Um, some of that, you know, those passing drills and some of the nuanced stuff. And I think there's a lot of dividends to be, to be had with kind of doing that kind of stuff as well. Do you think guys are coming into, you know, the 18, uh, under 18 leagues, do you think they're coming in like undersized? Because I feel like when I watch a lot of like draft profiles, they're, the always saying, all right, if this guy puts on 20 pounds, you won't be able to get him out of the corner. Do you think like the whole skill development, you know, the stick handling is kind of taking away from like that physical player, like, you know, the Tom Wilsons we see in the NHL, those kind of guys? Yeah, I mean, I think the game is trans transformed where it's more about speed and skill overall, where you look at even all the defensemen nowadays are really mobile. They can get up into the rush. Um, they're really active. So you don't have those bigger guys that are just locked down deep as much anymore. Um, you know, cause they're just taking a lot of the physicality out of the game. Just, you know, less bigger body checks, you see less fighting. Um, so that part of the game just doesn't exist anymore. So you gotta be able to skate. You gotta be able to have skill. You gotta be able to move a puck. So I think that kind of just, the way the game's played that way, I think you need to be, I just think that opens the door for smaller guys that are fast. And um, where 20 years ago, those guys had a tougher time cracking into the lead because he had all these bigger guys that were, you know, the power forward doesn't really exist anymore. The guys are just kind of lug it up the ice on the wing um, until you get to playoff time. And then you see some of those bigger guys in playoff time where the game kind of changes where the referees let more go and it kind of goes back to that old style mm -hmm. hockey. And they're like, Oh crap, these guys are really good again. Um, so it's, it's unique to see that during, during the season, you have these little small guys, you look at like a Cam Atkinson who's unreal um, where, you know, 20 years ago, he might've had a tougher time breaking into the league, but now like these guys get more opportunity right off the bat because they're skilled, they're fast. Um, and they're, you know, it's just all focused on that kind of game. Even the D are smaller, faster, and it's really fun to watch. And then, 
you get to playoff time and, and the game changes a little bit. And that's even more fun to watch. You see these little guys really play more physical. Um, you think, look at Marshan, like, I think he's one of the best players in the league, the way he plays, he's, he can do both where he can play physical and he can play kind of that fast skill game as well. So, um, being able to do both is really kind of a big asset in the league. That's such a good point, Blake. And, uh, I know, a conversation that you know we've had on this uh, podcast was like if you watch the guys in like the OHL the Q the WHL versus the guys who play college now like the guys in the CHL are really skilled and you know they carry the puck into the zone whereas in college it's still a lot of dump and chase yeah uh do you would you agree with that I, I don't I don't watch college hockey as much as I should yeah I really, I really think it's like team to team where um, you know, what is the coach trying to accomplish with his system? So I think you do have a lot of college teams that are a dump and chase, but then you have the higher end college team, like a BC, which are traditionally small and fast that are just all puck control. So it kind of depends on the coach and their style of play and their kind of recruiting. Um, you, you know, traditionally when I was younger, the Western junior leagues were always big, tough, which yep. is like, you know, you, you go out there and you just learn how to play a man's game. And then the Eastern teams were more skilled. Um, and it was kind of across the board where American and Canadian kids, Eastern side was more skilled. Western side was more kind of just, you know, rough and tumble type, type of hockey. Where I think it's just kind of now it's just team to team where, you know, coach to coach, what are they kind of looking for? What are they trying to accomplish? But I think what you've seen now, and I think the numbers back it up, is there's just more college guys breaking into the NHL. I think there's actually more college guys now than there are major junior guys going into the league each year. So I think that's, I think that's great for U.S. guys and uh, for college hockey. And you see college hockey starting to expand. There's more D1 teams. Now. There's a bunch of these D3 teams that are ready to move into that D1 kind of realm. And you look like at, at a Bentley that's kind of really in our neighborhood, really kind of up and coming. And so it's really exciting to see the growth of the sport. Um, you can basically come from anywhere and make it to any level now. It's, and I think that's tremendous. Yeah, it is crazy. And especially, I feel like the, the U.S. World Juniors, like their teams have been so solid, like the last, I don't know, I would say five years that I know that team that had like Seth Jones on it that won the, the tournament. Like that was probably the best U.S. team I've ever seen but they've been so consistent. They're right up there with Canada and with, you know, fin I feel like Finland's also been very good as well. Yeah. I think the creation of the, the national program where they had the, um, the national, you know, team that played out in the USHL, those younger teams, I think that's helped. We've had like these groups of 80 so kids at each le age level, just playing together all the time at a high level. So I think, U.S. has kind of learned to do that, and I, I think they, they're on a, a good spot right now with development. And, you know, Sweden and Finland have always been good. They've always had that kind of, like, small uh, town model where you move from your town up to, like, the, the pro team in your town. Um, those things, but the numbers they've had is amazing. And, you know, Canada's always been good, and they've always done a great job with development. So, but you look at there's some other countries that are coming around as well. And I think it's, it's just amazing how the sport has grown since I played. Um, you know, you have 
U.S. guys going to play over in pro leagues, younger guys. Like you look at Austin Matthews went over and played overseas as a younger guy just to because he kind of knew he was on a path in the NHL. And you guys are doing that now. And, you know, you have guys coming from Europe to play at college, more, you know, more bigger numbers. And I think it's just amazing how the sport has grown. Yeah, we, we always discuss, um, you know, some players who will go to those pro leagues. But let's uh, let's transition here to your college career, Blake. Uh, obviously, you went to go play um, for BC, you know, had four awesome seasons uh, there, two-time Hockey East champion. Can you just uh, run us through uh, the seasons? Um, you know, some of the greatest players you played with, uh, guys that went on to the NHL, and then kind of – you know, gearing towards like the end of your college career uh, when it was, you know, getting ready for uh, the pros? Yep. Um, freshman year came in. Um, BC was kind of in a transition where um, it was Jerry York's second year. His first year, um, he came in and he was lucky enough. He basically landed the best recruit in U.S., uh, Marty Reasoner. And, yep. um, the player that I had played with growing up named Brendan Buckley. Uh, he was a kid from Needham that were about the same age. And so they had a real strong recruiting class that first year. Um, and then double down where they basically got the number one recruit my year in Jeff Farkas. Um, and once I saw him committed, that's when I committed. And Mike Motto and Kevin Caulfield, two Thayer guys committed kind of with me at the same time. Um, we had played together basically all fall every fall for the last four years we played for you know 495 stars or greater boston junior bruins together and uh so we had some strong guys coming in as a freshman group um the the team before was maybe under 500 and so kind of like i, I Big transition. We were lucky enough to come in and that freshman group really was leaned on early. So I think that helped me in my development where as a freshman, I just played a ton. Um, and so given the opportunity just, you know, to get on the ice a ton with older guys and really skilled other younger guys really helped me. Um, ended up having a really good season. I think I was like third or fourth in the team in scoring. Um, hockey's rookie of the week four or five times so really good freshman season um lucky enough that i made world junior team that year uh, we had world juniors out in um in switzerland um really solid team we ended up losing to canada in the finals it was the first year basically the u.s had really meddled in a long time so really productive year there um good freshman year and that freshman year was my NHL draft year um it was in that summer in Pittsburgh um ended up putting like 36 points up as a freshman at BC and so central scouting had me pretty high ended up going down to Pittsburgh for the um for the draft um my my roommate Jeff Farkas was ranked really high like a top top pick maybe bottom first round early second round pick so we ended up traveling down together um they had me slated as a probably like a third or fourth round a lot of the central scouting stuff um went down sat there for four hours and i never got drafted for some reason 
Um, there was some high school kids getting drafted at that point at the, like nine rounds. I sat there and kind of a shock where I was basically first or second in freshman scoring in hockey East. And so it was really kind of a, a, a bad moment for me, but it was one of those things where my dad pulled me aside and said, Hey, you can either go two ways from here. You can either just kind of reset your mind and get better or you can kind of let this really affect you. And so that was how I took it. I just reset and came in and just tried to prove myself that sophomore year and um, being undrafted and down the long run, I think it helped me kind of with my kind of maturity and uh, my hunger for the game. Um, had a great sophomore year. Um, we ended up losing in the finals, um, national finals to Michigan at, at uh, the Fleet Center. Uh, it was an overtime game, but um, so great team year. I had a great, really good personal year. I ended up putting up another, I don't know, like 30, 40 points. And it just kind of progressed each year. You know, I put up maybe five or 10 more points and you know, started getting more traction with some NHL guys. And by the time I was a senior coming out of our um, regionals, we had the Western regionals out in Minnesota. Right after the regionals, I had four or five um, NHL offers on the table at that point going into the final four. So um, kind of helped me with that where I could kind of pick and choose where I wanted to end up. Um, but I can't say enough about, you know, the teammates that I had, you know, you look my senior year at BC, I think we had maybe 12 guys that ended up playing NHL games after that year. So like more than half the, the lineup had NHL experience in, in three or four years after that. Um, obviously some of the top players, Jeff Farkas, um, Brian Gianto was my line mate for a couple of years. So he's, he's going to be a hall of famer. Um, Orpik. Yeah. Brooks Orpik. Um, Scott Clemenson was the goalie. He played a bunch of games in the NHL. Uh, Mike Motto who ended up winning the yeah. Hobie Baker. I mean, so you had a loaded lineup. Uh, another guy named Bobby Allen was one of our other D men played a few games with the Bruins and before a back injury kind of sidelined him. Um, Rob Scuderi, who won two yeah. cups, one with the Kings, one with the, the Penguins. I think I think he's coaching in Nashville now. I think he's an assistant. And he's a D coach. Yeah. So, um, and he's he's had a tremendous career. But you look at our just our first four D. He had Orpek, Mato, who won the Hobie Baker, Scuderi, Bobby Allen. All four guys were NHL guys. Um, so, I mean, we were just we just had loaded teams. We went to three final fours. Um, we lost in the finals twice. Um, so we lost all three final fours. The year after I left, it was the year they, they beat North Dakota. It was just a rematch of our senior year. They beat them the next year. Um, Chris Colano scored a, a, a tremendous goal in overtime to win it for them. But they've been, they've been lucky. They were able to just recruit just – absolute rocket players year after year that the year my class left the incoming class was amazing they had the eaves boys and chuck kobashu and yep. they just had they just reloaded with just amazing talent and it's been like that for the last 15 years it just you yep. can't give jerry york enough credit just just year after year they just bring in unbelievable guys and they do an unbelievable job of having not only good hockey players but good kids and they just keep stockpiling players 
that was um oh yeah on their like when i started going to bc games i can't remember what year it was but they had you know the eves brothers Corey schneider and that brian boyle all these guys who were nhlers but they were so good like it's, it's that, those, those teams were i think better when they had you know kevin hayes and johnny goudreau as a whole they were just better yeah they never really had a down year for like 15 years it was it was yeah. amazing so i mean you look at i just look at the guys that wore number 13 and just so it went from me tony vos who played in the american league he was the guy that went to lawrence academy he was he scored 170 points in, at bc um you know, cam atkinson um yeah. I don't know if Ger- did Gerby wear number thirteen. I think maybe Nathan Gerby. He was the man. So <laughs> and then you had um who else is more? I mean, that's you just have so many good players coming in at every position every year after year. It's it's just been amazing. So they say that college hockey's got the uh best fans in the world, right? So I got a question. Uh what was your favorite place to play on the road? Uh, it's a tie. It's, it's a, this is an easy question. A lot of the guys that play, we always talk about this. Um, first was the old BU rink. Um, it was the, the atmosphere was always really electric, and um, we, especially when BC came in there, it was going to be a sold out barn. It was going to be um, it's going to be heated, and there's going to be people yelling at you. So that was, and the fans were kind of right on top of you there. And so that was always an unbelievable place to play. And then um, UMaine is just, it's a, it's another, it takes it to another level at UMaine. They have an overhang over the opposing goalie <laughs> that's basically over the ice. And it's, it's the only, it's the only game game up there. It's the only show up there and they, they just come out in, in droves for the games. And it's, it's their, every game up there is like their Stanley cup. It's, it's, so they, they just love hockey and they get so excited for it. And, it was always going to be a sold out barn and you know Stephen King was always always in attendance and right up against the glass and it was so it was always a, a tremendous atmosphere to play a game so how was the uh hockey east conference you know how how did that compare to you know to the to the uh leagues out west you know the minnesotas michigans yeah I, I'm, when i played i think i always thought we were a little bit stronger um and it was kind of like what I typically was talking about earlier. The, the Western leagues were big, physical. They had those bigger type of guys. And the Eastern guys were a little bit more skilled. Um, and that's kind of true to that back when I played. I think it's a little different now. But, um, you know, like my my junior year was the final four. It was us. It was UMaine. It was UNH and someone else. So it was like three East Hockey East teams were in the final four. And it was always we always had two teams that were in the in the final four each year, um, so we had we had really strong teams, um, really strong league, and I think that helped a lot of players with their kind of their growth. It's just there was no cupcake games every night. You had to you had to battle, and you know some of the weaker teams in our league back then were a Merrimack and UMass Amherst, but they gave us fits every night, and yeah. I think UMass beat us a few times, and I think. Same thing with Merrimack. Going into Merrimack was a tough game to play because there wouldn't be a ton of fans, and they played super physical and on the edge a little bit. And so every game was a tough game to play, and I think that helped guys along their career. 
isn't it crazy now, like, especially UMass, like how the success they've had, you know, the last couple of years, especially getting a guy like Kale McCarr coming in, top three pick in his draft, it's going to UMass. That's so like off the board. And like, I feel like UMass has never really had like a high prospect. So that it's cool seeing that. And I think too, like he kind of put them on the map to the world of, wow, this kid is this good. And he's playing at UMass. Yeah. I, even back when we played, we knew that they had the potential to be a really good program just because the facilities there are unbelievable. You have a huge rink. Um, you know, they had a nice practice rink, so they just had great facilities. And it's a huge school where if they could get some energy across the fan base, like we knew that they could be trouble for the rest of the league in the recruiting means. And, you know, they have the, the staff that they've done, Coach Carball there, and I think they've done a great job of recruiting guys. And, um, I mean, they're going to be a big player for the next few years just because huge school, people want to go there. It's kind of like one of those schools that where the kids have fun at. I don't know. I don't know if I want to say it's a party school, but it's, <laughs> I mean, it is one of those schools that, you know, you can have a great time at and still get a great education. So it's, that draws a lot of good players and um, they've been good. Now they have a little bit of history. They have a great facility. So it's, it's, they're just lining up a lot of good things in a row. So, um, you know, expect them to be a player a couple of years down the road here. So I believe this was last year's tournament. Uh, it was the American international college story. They knocked off uh, Duluth. I think it was. Yep. So, you know, you have a, you have a school like AIC, you know, they've never had a division one program the year that they become a division one program they make it to the tournament and then they knock off the one seed, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, that's, that's the, the beauty of college hockey and especially the tournament, just a one game elimination. If you have an, an unreal goalie that's on, on his game, you can win games. And I think that's the beauty of the sport. And, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, the skill of your players. If you have a team that plays together and, you know, your will is more than the other team, you're going to win a lot of games. So, I mean, I, I love that. I, I, I think, you know, I remember back when I played Niagara beat, I think some big, big school, they had an unbelievable goalie that I, I ended up playing with down the road. Uh, his name was Brett Gardner and they ended up upsetting someone in the, in the tournament as well. And they were, you know, one of those first year programs. So you know, I think that's, it's just a great thing for the sport where, especially now you, you look at, in recruiting, you always have the BUs, BCs, Michigans, you know, recruiting these top national program type players. But after those teams, like no one really has an advantage over anyone else in recruiting. So it's, and there's good players everywhere. There's the BCHL league, the USHL, the NCDC league here now, the NA, there's good players everywhere. So like you didn't, you don't need like a, and UMaine had a guy named Grant Stanbrook who would go up and find Canadian players. Yep. He was yep. a, just a, a wizard at finding these guys that no one would ever know of, and they'd, they'd score 60 points at the college yep. level. He uh, found Teddy Purcell, and he found um, Dustin Penner, too, in particular, that come off the top of my head. But, yeah, yeah that guy, he's amazing. Koreas, he found the Koreas. He found all – I mean, all those good players way, way back. He was the guy that found all those guys. So you don't really need a guy like that anymore. They're just good players everywhere, and I think – it's like an even keel landscape. If you're not one of those, if you're not a BC, a BU, like you can get any other player. Like there's, yeah. 
you know, some BCs and BCUs and those top programs are going to get a lot of those national guys. But beyond that, it's just, even if you're one of those new teams coming into the division one, like you can still get those guys if you hit them early. So it's, um, I think the landscape has kind of dictated that as well, where, you know, a kid might want to come in as a 19 year old and some of these teams are like, Hey, you need one more year of junior. And he's like, no, I don't. I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> offer me this year. I'll go to Maine. So I think there's a lot of jumping that way. Um, so, but it's, I think it's good for the sport. It keeps, you know, it's, each team is going to be good. You got to work hard each year to get the recruiting classes and, you know, kids are jumping earlier now to go to the NHL. So, you, you know, teams have to manage that as well. So um, it's been, like I said, I, I, the sport has grown so much and the college level has grown so much. I just think it's so good for our sport. Yeah. It, you're, you're so right about, you know, people being found in any league. There's that, I think going back even to Makar, he played in like the AJHL, which I've never heard of until his draft. And I was like, what I've never heard of this league and this kid's going in the top five. Like, like I thought it was the BCHL, but yeah, it's, it, you're right on that. If you're good, you'll be found. Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's just an amazing talent where you knew coming out of college, he was going to have an, an instant impact. And it's been, it's been fun to watch where you look at his strengths his, and it's, it jumps off the page, his explosive speed. It's like his first three or four steps. Um, and I pulled a bunch of clips from my guys that on my 18 team of him where he makes a breakout pass and he beats. Um, it's a breakout pass to a two-on-one and he beats the third forward up the ice where he, he just passed it and the center was kind of late to join the rush. and He actually beats the guy up the rush. And then it, it didn't really materialize in, into anything. And then he throws the brakes on quickly and he comes back to his kind of deep position where it's, you know, not a lot of risk involved, but he's in every offensive play. And it's like, I tell Mighty, that's how you have to play. Like nowadays is make that outlet pass and then join the rush with your skating ability. If it doesn't turn into anything, just get back and you'll get into a lot of rush and you end up getting a lot of points that way. It's that second layer, third layer into the rush. That's such a solid point because I'm not sure how much of that Columbus and Tampa series you caught, but you I, like things that we noticed was that uh, Zach Wierenski just flying up the ice every, you know, every uh, rush with the puck. And he was, I'm pretty sure like he was at the back post, like most of the time. And then he would just fly right back and, you know, he doesn't have to worry because Seth Jones is an all-star defenseman. Yeah. I mean, Tory Krug's been amazing. You watch the Bruins games, and I love the way they play. And um, you know, he's a little bit more risk than I like to have, but I mean, he's still those. You need players like that, and you can deal with you can deal with his risk getting into play. You know, he'll you know he'll end up turning a puck over once in a while, but he creates so much offense that it's like the risk reward is so great. So um, I love that type of player, and. You always need a few guys like that in your lineup. You can't be too over overboard with it, where I think the Bruins have a good mix of guys that are stay home and guys that yeah. are in the rush. Um, but you need – you look at today's game, you need those players that get in the rush. Yeah, there's like one player, and I'll always love him forever, uh, Victor Hedman. He I, – I don't think there's a defenseman like him right now in the league. 
the way he can play the 200 foot game, but still jump in offensively is insane. And he takes like three strides and he's right back the yeah. reach. It's like almost, I don't want to say this like to diminish Chara, but he's like a Chara, but with more skill. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what he is. I mean, he's, he has that offensive ability, but he also has the size. Um, I think he's not as physical as a guy like Chara, but yeah. he still holds his own at, at, in the defensive zone. Um, I, I've always loved Chara's game. I think net front, like as a net front presence, like, like a D-man, there's, there's yeah. been a guy that has been like him. He's, he's amazing. His positional play is amazing where, you know, obviously he doesn't skate very well. He's, he's kind of clunky now, but he, he makes up for positioning. Um, but, you know, his intangibles are incredible, like his leadership qualities and, so yeah. I, I think the, the Bruins have been really lucky to have a guy like him. So uh, what do you think their the future is for Tori Krug and Zdeno Chara? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't follow it as closely as, I mean, I watch the games and, you know, I, I watch the games to dissect them to pull clips from my team. So I don't, I don't really get into like that part of the game too much. Um, I would love the Bruins to re-sign Krug and get him back. Um, just because I, I just don't think it's going to be clear like him in the league. Um, you know, it's going to take some money, it looks like, but you look down the rosters of the league, there's not – if you have a, a D like him in your in your lineup, you're lucky. Um, so I think they were looking for McAvoy to take a kind of step that way, and he hasn't really evolved yeah. that offensive. So until they find a guy that's really as offensive as him, I think they need to have him back. I mean. That's my personal opinion. Um, if McAvoy could take a bigger, bigger jump offensively, I think it'd be a little bit easier to let him go. But um, again, you look the Victor Hedmans, they don't they don't come up. I mean, they're just not down the production line very often. I mean, uh, that type of player um, that can mix a good defenseman with a lot of offensive ability that can run a power play. Um, He's basically like a fourth forward sometimes out there. You, you don't have that guy, but the Kale McCars, that guy doesn't come down the road very often. So uh, if you get a chance to keep him in your, in your club, I think you should do it. Yeah, we, we totally talk about these guys a lot and, you know, we're big, we're big fans of them. But earlier in the show, you said that you had about four or five NHL offers after your senior season. Uh, who Who were those teams? And then kind of, you know, what was your ultimate decision to sign with Columbus? Yeah, I really got down to three teams where Montreal Canadiens, Washington Capitals, and Columbus. And it was Columbus's first year um, in existence that year, or they were coming in that year. And I thought it would be the kind of the easiest path for me to, to get into the NHL, um, whereas they had really no um, guys that were really – um, returners or anything like that. It was just a, a fresh start for everyone. So um, ended up going with Columbus and I, I made a good decision and um, lucky enough to play a, a few games, a handful of games. And again, I, I think back to the network of people that I meet in that organization, I still friendly with a bunch of them that I talked to. And um, you know, it was a, a great experience for me, even though it didn't turn out to everything I wanted to be having an NHL career. Um, but it was still a, a tremendous experience for me. 
what would you say was like so going from bc you know to pro what was the biggest transition over like what did what do you think was like wow like was it game speed was it the way they played yeah, i mean everything was a little bit better N- not not a huge jump where um you go from college hockey to i basically start in the the american league where it's not that big of a jump where definitely it was a little bit more of a thinking game um and then from the AHL to the NHL, just everyone's always in position where guys are always doing their job. You know, you don't have a lot of time and space to make a play. Um, the speed of the game is not a huge difference. And there's still a lot of, there's a lot of good players in the American league at the time that are, could have been playing in the NHL. And it's like that basically any time of the year where um, there's always a handful of American league guys that are, are, just as good, if not better, than half of NHL rosters. Um, but for me, the, the hardest thing for me to overcome was the mindset um, where I got kind of typecasted into a, a defensive forward type role where I was playing third line a lot of the time in the American League where I was counted on to kind of play against another team's top line and I was a penalty killer. I was really good on face-offs. And so I kind of forgot about my roots that would, what got me there. Um, you know, I was a, a scorer at BC and I could do that, but I kind of pushed into this. They had compared me to like a John Madden with the devils where if you guys remember him, like it was him and Mike uh, with Jay Pandolfo it was a, kind of a, a penalty kill tandem yep. with, their, with their cup runs. And he was a, you know, third liner for them played a little bit of power play, but he was a really solid player. And that's how they kind of compared me to. And you know, so I kind of got so defensive minded all the time where I kind of forgot about playing offensive and, you know, your next contract is all based on your numbers. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of let that part of my game go, um, which if I could go back and do things differently, I would have gone in and kind of had a more offensive mindset and still try to do those things that I did really well. The defensive part of the game, the face-offs, the penalty killing, um, but still take an offensive mindset to the rest of the game. So, um, and I think for the biggest thing for me was kind of getting to a mindset and then breaking out of that. And it wasn't until I was kind of on, on the second half of my career when I was playing in the East coast where I was like, shit, I'm just going to, I'm just going to play offensive now. I'm like, I'm yeah. gonna, I just didn't care as much. <laughs> I'm just going to go have some fun. Um, Cause those last couple of years when I was playing that way, it, the game didn't become fun for me anymore. And I was, you know, I was almost going to hang them up. And I was like, all right, I'll come back. They want to have me come back in the East Coast and be like a player assistant coach. So I did that and I, I became way more offensive and it was the game was more fun again. I, I just had better numbers. And, you know, it's a funny thing for a professional athlete. The most important thing is your confidence. If you don't have your confidence, like you, you can't do anything out there. And that's where my game really struggled was the confidence part. Um, so my last few years got the confidence back and it became fun again. And um, I just wish I had that kind of mindset earlier on in the whole thing. And, you know, I needed, I mean, I basically needed someone to tell me that where I didn't have, I didn't have someone to really kind of support me in that role. Um, so you see guys with their skill coaches now, and that's part of your job is like, if you have a, a player that's going into college or going into the pros, 
those skills coaches have to be that kind of support figure for the guys and say, hey, these are the things you do well, no matter what kind of role you get casted into. It's important, you know, this is, it's your team, but it's also your career too. So you have to kind of manage both and you got to do the things that, you know, they're going to get you to the next spot. And so I just, I didn't manage that part of it very well. Um, but again, it was a tremendous experience for me. Um, you know, the, the people you meet and the experiences you have and the friendships and the camaraderie, it's, it's, I mean, those are the things that I loved about it. Yeah. So we had a guy back on, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, he made his way from, you know, division three, he was playing at Plymouth state, uh, went to go play in the SP and then uh, his weekend, you know, he got called up to the, e the ECHO, you know, his weekend in the ECHO became, you know, a whole season and he put up like 40 points and then he came back for the next season and it was kind of the same situation, you know, with your story, you know, he wasn't getting the minutes, uh, you know, he wasn't going on the away, you know, the away trips and then kind of like his confidence just kind of, you know, got shot and you know, that's when he, that's when he decided he was like, okay, like it was a great like experience, you know, he never thought like he would get that far. So it's, it's interesting to hear your side, you know, two different kind of career paths. He played division three, you played division one. And then um, you guys both made it to the pros and it's kind of like a similar story. So um, I can't thank you enough for sharing, you know, that, you know, side of, of the game. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the guys, I mean, an easy example would be Tuka Rask. You look at his game, and when he's confident, you can see his body language on the ice. Like when he's making saves, his body language is totally different from when he's not confident. And you can tell with like the first five minutes of watching him play, you're like, all right, he has it tight or he doesn't have it. And, you know, goalies, it's really, I mean, it's, it's super important as a goalie, the confidence, like that's 90% of the game. And then obviously as a regular player, it's, it's still super important, but yeah, I couldn't, like, I, I talk to my guys about it all the time. Now be about being positive and kind of knowing what your role is and, and kind of re, just always kind of self-assuring yourself and keeping that self-confidence. Cause if you don't have it, you just, it really shows and you're just never going to, it just, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's almost like a, it's, it's almost like a virus. Like if you, if you have bad confidence, it's just going to grow and grow and grow where if you have the positive mind frame, just only positive things will happen to you on the ice. So we try to grow that with my 18 team. Um, just cause I have the experience with it myself. And, um, when you're feeling good about yourself and just good things are going to happen on the ice. And with the with the eighteen team, it, it it must be amazing seeing how talented these kids are at such a young age, and like how like development has you know grown the last twenty years in USA hockey. And obviously, they're you guys are probably traveling now what every weekend to go you know play in Michigan, play in like Canada, wherever. Yeah, in a traditional traditional year, this year we'll, we'll yeah, be, I was gonna, we'll yeah, a lot, lot less travel this year. But um, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see the kids grow. I, I've been lucky enough to coach probably maybe 60 to 70 kids that have gone on to play division three club or division one hockey. Um, 
So I've had a lot of guys move on from my team, play basically one year junior, top junior level hockey, and then go to college after that. That's kind of the, the flight path for the guys at the 18 level. Um, I had uh, a couple of years ago, I had a, a kid named Ian Carpentier. He's, a, he's from Worcester. Uh, played for me for two years and then played with our NCDC team. And now he's at Yale. He's a freshman at Yale. Um, that same year, I had um, Colin Graff, who's a kid from Lincoln, Lincoln, Mass. And uh, he's with our NCDC team now. He's committed to Union. So we have some good players coming out of our, our 18 level. I think I've had about probably 10 to 12 Division One guys play for me um, in the last five years. So, but the majority of kind of that D3 to club guy and still tremendous players. And it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of sacrifices even to make those levels nowadays. So um, a lot of kudos to those guys that have you know, worked through the levels and done those extra years to get to that. And, um, you know, it's a big commitment both financially nowadays and 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 with the the hockey part of it our last question is dallas or tampa who, who, who are you taking oh man i i haven't i haven't been watching the series very closely um i like tampa i think there's just so much talent on tampa i think dallas is a little <laughs> bit more rugged and i think they have some guys that can mix it up a little bit um but the, the whole the whole NHL playoffs this year was kind of unique where it doesn't seem like it's real. You know, they, they haven't yeah. gone through a full season where they're kind of like rested coming in. So I haven't I haven't been totally uh, bought in on it, but <laughs> um, it's been it's been unique for sure. But uh, I like I like Tampa. I like Kucherov's. You know, I, I watch some of his his play. He's amazing. He's one of Adam Oates' guys, that is his skill guy. And I like watching him play because he does some unique things on the ice. Um, but they, I mean, they're just loaded with talent. They have so much talent. It's it's unreal. So it's tough to bet against them. I mean, if nope. they just come out and they just, if their work ethic just matches Dallas, I think their skill will eventually take over. I think the only way Dallas beats them is just kind of outwork them. Just, just beat them down? Yeah, but if I think Tampa comes out and, matches the work ethic i think they'll be fine so when the bruins uh so obviously i'm gonna take a stab that the bruins are your favorite team uh do you still root for the blue jackets uh whenever you know if the bruins are out are you gonna you're gonna root for the blue jackets or i do i do i um i you know i was i was mixed with last year when they were playing them in the in the <laughs> so i you know it was a win-win for me either way but I just like, I mean, the Bergeron, Pasternak, Martian line, I love that line. They have so much chemistry, and I use them for a lot of clips that I send to my team. And just their, how they're prepared on every play, just face where it's face-offs in their own end, D-zone. It's, it's amazing, their chemistry. They know what they're going to do every second. So um, I, I, you got to include crew with that little group of three guys. I think those guys play so well together. So it's just been fun to watch them. And uh, especially the last few years where they've kind of been a more offensive team, where they've just kind of been up the ice and kind of the reins have been lifted a little bit. It's been really fun to watch them play. Um, but I do, I do root for the Blue Jackets. Um, Jody Shelley was a teammate of mine. He does the, he does the color now on the radio for them. So I like listening to their games. Um, so just, um, you know, it's, 
you know, like I said, I was, I was lucky to have a good experience with them and, um, you know, tremendous. I look back at it with tremendous fond memories and, you know, I've just been really blessed by the sport. Is Rick Nash the best player you've ever been on the ice with? Yeah, he was, he was super talented. It was, um, he was, he, I mean, I went to camp with him. It was his, I think it was 19 year old year when he was coming out of junior and he basically just stuck with the team. Um, when I got called up, it was, um, I think he was like 19, 20 years old. And I had to sit in the back of the plane with him. So I, I had a couple conversations with him, um, but really nice kid. And he was, I mean, his first few years, he was so explosive with his skating. Uh, obviously a tremendous stick hitter, but his, his speed was, you know, he was big, tall guy. He was powerful. And, um, he, he was very good, but I mean, I, I was lucky to play against some other guys in exhibition games and some of the games I played in, um, you know, just, he was, he's one of the five, I'd say one of five. I played against, against Madonna in a game against Dallas. Oh God. That's yeah. awesome. I think, I think he, I mean, he was fun to watch. Just even sitting on the opposing bench, like he was just flying around in his jersey, just flapping in the wind. Yep. Played against Messier. Um, I mean, I mean, that's just you know NHL icon. Uh, funny story, like I was taking faceoffs against him in an exhibition game, and I basically won every faceoff against him. And then he ended up slashing me on the hand. And I was like, what, what was that for? And then I read, <laughs> read an article later on, like a couple of years ago, about how it was one of his moves. If he lost a bunch of face-offs, he would slash to try to break the guy's hand. <laughs> yeah. But, some, you know, I have you know, great memories, fond memories, things like that. Um, was lucky enough to play, like, against Chris Pronger, was another guy I played against. And My favorite defenseman. At the Man. time, I... Um, I was, I came up, I got called up from Syracuse and our captain at Syracuse was Sean Pronger, his brother. So it was a, I had a couple of funny stories about that. And, um, so really fond memories. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was really lucky to have a chance to play up there. That's amazing, Blake. Um, yeah, I think that'll, that'll wrap us up uh, for here. Just a recap, 302 points in Massachusetts Division I high school hockey. That is the record. It, stand, it still stands uh, no one's today. It. No one's even come close to it. Yeah, not even close. Four full seasons at Boston College, two-time Hockey East champion, and a handful of games at the NHL uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Blake, can't thank you enough for coming on today and sharing your whole hockey experience and not even just, you know, your career, but um, coaching and, you know, other uh, topics in youth hockey uh, and so on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's been, uh, it's been fun reliving some of the stuff. We can't, yeah, we can't thank you enough. This was amazing. Just, just picking your brain's awesome, you know, from your perspective of playing and now coaching, it's, it's awesome. I love it. All right, well, good luck with everything else, guys. Um, if you ever want to hit hit up again for another one, let me know. All right, Blake. perfect. All right, All right guys. Bye. Bye, guys.